Amen. Amen. Thanks, Justin. You know, as a friend and a brother, you don't come much better than Justin. So I love you, bro. Appreciate it. Okay. November 22nd, 1989. Where were you on this day? Maybe some of you weren't even born yet, and that's okay. November 22nd, 1989, though, is one of the most important, important dates in the world because it, um, it was the date of the most important scientific breakthrough this world has ever seen. In a small town of Hill Valley, California, Dr. Emmett Brown and his trusty sidekick, Marty McFly, got into the DeLorean equipped with a flux capacitor with 1.21 gigawatts of power traveling at 88 miles per hour zoomed into the future date of October 15th, of October 21st, excuse me, 2015. Now, I'm totally dating myself, and there's a bunch of you here who know what I'm talking about. I'm, of course, referring to Back to the Future Part 2. One of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. You can call me lowbrow if you want. I don't care. Um, but it is. It's a great movie. Um, it, Back to the Future 2 gives us a glimpse of what director Robert Zemeckis thought the future might look like. And it's a pretty funny picture, mainly because here we are sitting in 2023. If you haven't seen the movie, um, you know, go and watch it tonight. You could do a Bible study, pray, and all that stuff. Okay, that's good. But then watch Back to the Future 2 tonight. You will not regret it. It's an amazing film. But this was Zemeckis in the 80s, projecting to what he thought 2015 would look like. Flying cars, self-lacing shoes, right? I still want those shoes. Self-drying clothes, pizza that cooks in just an instant. Remember that scene where like, the, his, the older version of him puts it into the oven and bing, and instantly it turns into a big pizza? Um, hoverboards, ridiculous fashion. We have none of these things in 2023, apart from the ridiculous fashion part, right? <clears throat> but we started this year. We started 2023 in a sermon series called Will You See? And over the past month or so, we've been discovering how God is preparing us for the new things um, through looking at the book of Isaiah. And so we started um, on New Year's Day where we said we can't put God in a box. But instead, we need to expand of how we think God can move. Around Chinese New Year, we stepped into the church-wide fast and we talked about how our God is a God of justice. And therefore, we too need to be a people of justice. And one of the best ways we can prepare ourselves to do this work is through our fasting and praying. That's how we renew our passion for justice. In week three, we had a very frank and honest conversation about sin and its effects on our ability to view God clearly. But then we also realized that God comes to cleanse us and teach us about repentance and to give us new hope to see him as we should. We then learned about a new way to worship. Um, Pastor Promise talked to, talk, talk, talk to us about how worship isn't just with the songs and melodies, um, but it's with our lives that we worship. Then last week, um, and Pastor Andrew reminded us of our names. And he unpacked to us how the labels we give ourselves and the others given to us aren't really our true identity, but what truly matters, the true name, the true label, comes from what Jesus has done for us. And I hope it's been a good journey for you. But here's the thing. Your journey in the new things God wants to do doesn't end with this sermon series. 
Because God is living and active in this world and in your life, your journey with him continues into the future. So the future, let's talk about that for a second. What will the future be like? What questions, feelings, and emotions come to mind when you think about what the future looks like? What if someone said, what if someone said, hey, Song Song, I can tell you exactly what your future looks like. What would you say? This is precisely why movies like Back to the Future are so fun to watch, right? Zemix tries his very best to pull back the curtain to show us a glimpse, but really nobody knows what the future holds, and he was way off, which is precisely, again, why we're so obsessed with it. Right, this isn't the only movie about the future. So many, Hollywood is constantly churning out movies about time travel and its potential ramifications, butterfly effects and all that kind of stuff. Lots of movies about traveling into the future. But even on an intellectual level, right, the possibility of moving time between time and space is a question physicists and scientists have been debating long, for a long, long time now. Einstein's general theory of relativity. Okay, keep your eyes open. Right? This opened up the question, though, about what, you know, if time travel is actually possible or not. Apparently, this is what E equals mc squared is all about. Let me try and explain. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go there today. <laughs> okay, but movies and scientific theories are one thing. But the idea of wanting to know what might happen in the future is so appealing to us that it even impacts us on a spiritual level. Think about this for a minute. Many of us are so desperate to find out, to be sure of what the future holds, that we turn to some very dark places to find out the answers. Here in this city, all you need to do is go and walk down Temple Street, or go and visit Wong Dai Xin or one of the other temples. And there'll be no shortage, right, of fortune tellers, card readers, soothsayers, feng shui masters who will claim to know exactly what your future looks like. Who are you going to marry? What kind of career are you going to have? How likely you are to get that promotion? When you should have children? How many children are you going to have? How you might even die? All these things can apparently be told by the flip of the card, reading of the charts, shaking of some sticks. This is very much a part of our culture. But how about within our church itself? How about within the Christian community? I think at times we too have just as much of an interest in these things. Only the Christianese, the Christian version of this, we call it the prophetic. Right? And at times, even amongst us questions, we have an unhealthy interest of what the future precisely is going to look like. And so what happens is that we turn to God. But when we turn to God, we only want Him to give us really specific answers. So we can always make the right choice. We can always be walking in his blessings. We can always be on that path to success. Now, don't get me wrong, church. I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to us in this way. And even in Scripture, God gives some pretty accurate, giddy, precise prophecies about what might happen in the future. And I'm sure Scripture tells us God has plans and purposes for your life, blessings that he wants to give to you, good things he wants to lead you into. This is the truth. God is the giver only of good gifts. But if this, if, if, if this becomes the only way and the only time we look to God, we are missing out on so much. It's like there's a huge masterpiece of a painting, 
and we're only staring at one corner of it. So let me ask us, what does your relationship for the future look like? Now, for some of us out there, there might be a lot of excitement. Right? For you, there's a lot of good, exciting things coming up on the horizon. And you can't wait to see how they all play out. If this is you in the room today, good for you. Okay? But you can probably leave right now or take a nap or start praying for the rest of us. Um, might not relate to what I'm about to say. Because for most of us ordinary people out there, for those of you watching online as well, as you look into the future, there's probably a lot of concerns and a lot of fears for many different reasons. So today as we close our sermon series, we're going to be in Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. And as we look through this passage, we're going to take sections of it to see how they can give us hope for the different things we're worried about as we look into the future. This is what the passage has to say. Verse 17, Isaiah 65. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will it be an infant or who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought to be a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will build vineyards and eat their fruits. No longer will they build houses and others live with them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord. They and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion and the ox will and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. So as we walk through this passage, like I said, I'm going to try and highlight some concerns that we might have looking for some hope in this passage that we've just read. I hope that sounds okay. So here we go. Firstly, some of us are worried about the future because of our past experiences. There's a scientific term for this, and it's called prospection, right? And it, it happens. Animals have prospection. For example, if you have a pet, especially you have a dog, and you come home at the same time every day, your dog seems to know when you're going to arrive home, right? They anticipate you arriving home at that time, and so, you know, they start getting excited, and at times, if you come home late or you don't come home at the time your pet is expecting you to, they react in a certain way, right? They feel sad, they feel depressed, things like that. Um, ravens apparently have the ability to do this. They're one of the, these animals that store up for the winter because they've experienced that, hey, in the past winters, food has been scarce, so let's store up so there's enough food to carry us through the colder months of the year. But as humans, our ability to prospect about the future is much higher, which is one of the reasons we find ourselves worrying about what's going to happen to us. 
Like, right, this is why we do things like saving up for retirement and our kids' education. This is why we exercise today, hoping to keep fit so we can live out our years on this earth tomorrow. Right? Our ability to prospect is much higher than the normal animals. But again, this is why we are worried. Because we tend to use memories of our past experience to predict what our life will be like. So if you have um, experienced things that have been difficult and complicated, it becomes hard to see anything else but the same in the future. Just suffering and disappointment. This was certainly the case of the Israelites. Right? During the time such as Isaiah and, and Jeremiah, when these prophets were active in doing the work, the Israelites had been through some really tough things. They had been slaves in Egypt. They had wandered in the desert for 40 years, faced countless battles where hundreds of thousands of their own people have been killed. Their temple has been destroyed. The holy city of Jerusalem has been turned upside down. They've seen the country literally torn in two. They've been through terrible kings and leaders and judges, and now they've been forcibly moved from their home to a foreign land living in exile. So judging from their past, the Israelites really didn't have much to look forward to. I wonder if you ever feel like this way in your life. I know for myself, this is one of the ways that the future is difficult for me to think about. Let me tell you why. See, when I was born, I was born with a genetic condition. It's just one of those things that happened to me. No one else in my family has it, but somehow it landed on me. And without going into too much detail, I'll say that it has caused me a great deal of pain in my life in all different levels. Now, with my condition, the thing is, um, there's a 50-50 chance whether or not I uh, pass it on to my future children, whether my future children will also inherit the same condition. And so this is partly my wife and I waited so long to try and have children because we were praying. We were praying for God to not let this happen to our kids. And so we prayed before we knew uh, my wife was pregnant. We prayed during the pregnancy. We asked many people to pray. We asked God to spare Isaiah from the pain that I had to go through. But he didn't. And shortly after Izzy was born, it was confirmed that he too would have to live with what I've had to live with. And so to be honest, that was really tough to take. It still is. I mean, what do you do when the thing you feared most in your life, literally feared most, becomes a reality? Right? And especially now, we're anticipating the arrival of our second child. The same doubts, the same fears, the same uncertainty, the same questions keep crossing my mind. You know, I thought God promised a good future for our generations. But there's nothing good I can see about this. And so my own experience of my past began to cloud my judgment of how I see the future. And I, I, sometimes I start to think there's no hope. So if this is you in the room today, hold on to these words of Scripture as some encouragement to you. God says this, See, I will create new heavens, and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. It's precisely while Israel is in this state of confusion, of darkness, of wrestling with their past and their hopelessness, that God speaks these words, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. These words are an echo of the beginnings of Scripture. Right? The very first words of our Bible 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then everything was perfect. But this is why the words of Isaiah 65 offer us life, offer us power, offer us hope for the future. These are words that let us know, despite our hopelessness, despite the fact that our past experiences have been disappointing, he is going to restore. He is going to make things new and right again. And his heart is to lead us into that place like we were in the beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, only even better. Because in this new place, there is no longer the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There is only the tree of life. A place where our relationship with God is without barrier. A place where we can be naked and unashamed before the Lord. A place where brokenness will not even be a memory. It won't even be a possibility. Those things that hurt you in the past will never come to mind again. And God's not doing this thing just because he's, you know, um, like a project guy, you know, he's bored and he needs something new to do. He's doing this thing because he, it's always been a part of his plan. It's an act of love. It's an act of rescue and redemption for the sake of his children. And so this means that even though you've gone through setbacks and knockdowns, there is always hope. There's always hope because God acts. And contrary to popular belief, the world is not going to hell in a handbasket because when God works, when God decides that he is going to do something new, and when God restores, the effects are going to be so perfect. Like I said just now, one day, you're not even going to remember the disappointments of the past. That's a word for you today. And just off, you know, um, as an answer to my our own prayers, and I didn't share this with the morning I, mean, I just remember this. In, in the things that, you know, Isaiah's had to do a ton of doctor's appointments and all this kind of stuff. And actually, we found out that on the year that he was born, there's been a new drug, a new treatment that's come out, precisely targeting uh, kids uh, with his condition. Right? That's an answer of God that we never thought was possible. When I was a kid, definitely that was not an option. Right? And so we're exploring these things right now. And, but we see that as an answer to how God has been working in our family's life. And also come to remember that God's answer to us, to our family, was not that he would not inherit it as badly as we wanted that to happen, but was the fact that I'm going to be with you in this. That was his word to us. So take that as an encouragement to you. Secondly, some of us in this room are worried about, worried about the future because of our own sin and the mistakes that we have made, or maybe the, things that we're, the mess that we're currently sitting in. And so when you look ahead, it's hard to imagine what life might be like if you were to be free from the chains that are binding you right now. It's going to be hard, it's hard because that's all you've known, that's all you've, you, you've been sitting in for so long now, that your sin has affected how you think about the future. It's important to remember and realize that the Israelites were in this miserable position in the first place because of their own sin and their own tendencies to turn away from God and begin to worship idols. Right, the relationship with God was once strong, but now the Israelites were stuck in this futile practice right, of trying to worship God and do other rituals, but at the same time con continuing to live life on their own terms, worshiping idols, doing as the nations around them did. It wasn't that God was far away, but they simply refused to listen to him. 
And because of this, they found themselves suffering in the consequences of their own sin. Or in more colloquial terms, they messed around and they found out that sin isn't something you can play with. And this may be some of us today. Yes, we come to church. We're connected to a community group. We serve, we tithe, we do all the right things. But we know that we haven't fully surrendered to God. We know that our relationship with God is still ruled by darkness in some areas. And where your relationship with Him, yes, might once have been strong. We used to hear from God all the time. But now when we ask God to speak to us, we can't hear anything because of our sin. And we feel like we're abandoned. We feel like you, you feel like God doesn't like you anymore. And sin has sapped away the joy from your relationship with God. For those of you who are in this position, these are the words of encouragement for you today. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and listen to this and take delight in my people. So here's the truth. Yes, sin does put up a barrier between us and God. And there's most definitely consequences to our sins. That's for sure. But at the same time, when God works, when God renews and re restores, He even is able to reverse the effects of sin so that we, they will no longer be able to separate us from the relationship we can have with God. Later on in Isaiah 21, 20, uh, 65, 21, and 22, it says this, They will build houses and dwell in them. They will, build, they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live with them or plant and others eat. Now, it seems like a bit of a random passage to throw in there, but this is a declaration. It's not just a blessing. This is God reversing the punishment and the consequences that he had previously warned the Israelites about. If you go back to Deuteronomy 28.30, God warns his people that if they disobey him, if they continue to worship idols and do all the things that they're not supposed to do, these are the results that are waiting for them. You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruit. That was the warning from God. And this is the situation that the Israelites found themselves in. But in the new thing that God is doing, in the new heavens, in the new earth, this curse is reversed. You see, Jerusalem was always meant to be the symbol of God's presence here on earth, but has since then been corrupted by sin and as a result destroyed by pagan worshiping armies back in the day. But even so, it says, God will restore it to its rightful place of bringing delight to God. The same goes for you. You who think because of your sin, there is no hope for your future. You who think God doesn't want anything to do with you anymore because of your sin. This is an encouragement for you because God's heart is still to bring you out of the darkness into the light. God's heart is to create in you a new person, a new heart to restore the joy that sin has eaten away. You are part of his people. You belong to him, and because of this, he takes delight in you. There is hope. Some of us, when we look to the future, our view of the future is jaded because despite of our hard work, 
despite of our best efforts, nothing ever seems to pay off. And so we feel like we should just stop trying and give up because, well, what's the point? Nothing ever comes to fruition anyway. If you're a student in this room, you might understand. It might play out like this. Right? You find yourself studying. That big exam is coming. You know, so you bust your butt. You stay up late. You work hard. You do all the preparation. You go to the extra classes. And when on results day, when those um, on that, you take the exam and results day, they come out, you failed. Or you've missed it by like half a mark or something like that. And it's just so, it's just so, so crushing. You don't know what to do. I thought I worked hard. Or on the contrary, you get the results that you wanted, even good marks, but even then, you don't get any praise or you know, accreditation because that's just what's expected of you in the first place. This might play out for you in the workplace. You spend endless hours working in the office, staying late, making sure everything is done right. You go above and beyond. You do the things that nobody else does to make sure nothing falls apart. But in the end, you never get the credit for it. Your boss never seems to notice. And even worse, it's the people around you that seem to do no work, that ride off the coattails of other people's um, hard work, that slack off. These are the people that get the raises and the promotions. Maybe this plays out for you in your relationships. You finally think you found the right person for you. So you do all the right things. You open up, you communicate, you're vulnerable, you're authentic, you give this person your trust, you share your deepest, most intimate feelings, thoughts, and emotions with this person. You even reinvest your resources into this relationship only to have your heart broken yet again. If this is you, hold on to these words as a source of encouragement. For as the days of a tree so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will enjoy the work of the hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord. In the new thing God is doing, in the new heavens and the new earth God is leading you into, he tells us that your efforts will never return void. But rather, God sees your efforts. He notices the journey that you've been on. He sees the hard work that you've been putting in, and his promise is that you will be blessed for this in the end. So take heart. Some of us don't want even to think about the future because all we can see is pain. It's similar to what we talked about just now. We don't want to dream or think about what could be because we don't want to get our hopes up just to have them dashed again. Right? There were plans that you had, visions that you had for your future. But instead of seeing life blossom, you've experienced a lot of loss, a miscarriage, the untimely passing of a loved one, the break-off of an engagement, a divorce, loss of jobs and finances, a horrible diagnosis, the breakdown of a friendship that was once strong, and as a pastor in this community, I've sat with you and walked with many of you through these things. I myself have walked in these things. And so if this is you today, take this as your encouragement. In this new heavens and the new earth, the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. 
Never again will, it be in, will, never will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. God promises us that there is a future coming where things like this will no longer happen. There is a future coming where life will always blossom and live out to its full potential. There is a time coming where, the, where your efforts will bear the fruit that you've been praying that it will bear. This is what the heart of the passage is trying to say. It's a poetic way of reminding us that in the new heavens, and the new earth, pain will no longer be the ending. But rather, as Jesus has said, we will get to enjoy life and life in the full. Some of us don't see much hope in the future because we feel like God has given up on us. And I'm talking to the ones out there who've been serving the Lord faithfully. You've been serving God faithfully. You've really tried to live um, a life free from sin. Right? You, are, you are dedicated in your walk with God. You've poured yourself out for the sake of your gospel. You have sacrificed. And whilst you've seen God work powerfully in other people's lives... You feel as though God has given up on you. The blessings that you pray for other people never seem to come your way. And so it feels like God doesn't really care about you. And you're about one unanswered prayer from giving up on your relationship with God altogether. My brother, my sister, if this is you today, hang on. Take this as a word of encouragement to you. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. God is reminding us of, a, of his intimacy with us in this verse. This is a reassurance that he is still listening to you. He knows you so well that he anticipates your needs. God is like that best friend, that person that you're most in tune with. You know that person who seems to be able to complete your sentences for you? The person who knows your most innermost thoughts, the friend who hears you, who understands you, who will never give up on you. God has not given up on you, which is precisely why he's doing the new thing that he's promised us. Now I know what you're thinking too, right? This all sounds good in theory, but the truth is I'm still struggling right now. The truth is, when I wake up tomorrow, most likely I'm still going to be carrying some of that pain and uncertainty. You know, and if God is doing all these things in the end, then, well, why do we need to bother with anything? Well, what's the point? Well, why don't we just sit around and wait for it to happen, let God do his thing? Why is God showing us these things? Is it just to tantalize us, to try and give us a little bit of hope and just, you know, make us impatient and long for these things to come? No. God is pulling back the curtain to show us a glimpse of what the future might be like because it's actually an invitation for us to join him in this work of making things new, in this work of restoration. This is one of the most challenging yet most exciting things about being in a vibrant relationship with the living God because our role is not to sit around dreaming and hoping of better things to come, but God has called us to actively take part in shaping the future. God shows us the future, yes, in some ways, of course, to give us hope for tomorrow, but also to move us into action today. 
So this is what we mean when we say things like, we want God's heart. This is what we mean when we sing songs like, show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. God doesn't show us visions to tantalize our imagination, to make us homesick for our home in heaven, but rather he's asking us to embrace these things and join him in his work of revealing his restoration to the rest of the world. A commentary I was researching in preparation for this message put it this way. No goal short of the restoration of all God's creation to its intended wholeness will satisfy the yearning of the servant of God, uh, to the servant of the Lord. So what this means is this. The things that you've gone through, even the terrible, horrible things that you're going through and have gone through, the disappointments, the heartbreak, the grief, and the mourning, all these things can be the help and understanding that is needed to guide you in how you can contribute to God's vision of this new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21, 1 to 4, and an echo of what Isaiah says, tells us this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and first earth have passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This church is where the world is heading. And I know we're in this awkward stage right now where we already know how the story is going to end, but we're not there yet. The beautiful thing about knowing how the story ends, though, is that we get to live for that moment right now. We get to live like we're in the new heavens and the new earth. God is saying to his people, I see your hurt. I see your pain. I see the uncertainties. I understand why you might have questions about how the future is going to turn out. But don't let the loss of right now define your future. Trust me. Let me define the future. So in light of this, Allow me to challenge us for a few, with a few questions. Where in the world do you see the need for God's restoration? What breaks your heart as you look out into the community and the world around you? What has God called you to do to shape the future? And ultimately, what are you going to do about it? And this is your God-given calling. This is what your future looks like. This is how your future works out, by doing the holy work of God's restoration. And God is ready to lead you in these things. God is standing there saying, here I am, here I am. God is asking the question, behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? God is asking the question, are you ready to do the good works he has prepared in advance for you to do? Our calling as followers of Jesus is to start doing this today, right now. Because for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have already had a taste of what this feels like, right? 
When you decided to give your life to Jesus, when you decided to surrender to Christ, you went through a renewal. Bible tells us that anyone who is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So therefore, as a people who have been through renewal, our role now is to bring renewal to this world that still desperately needs it. So I'm sorry, church. I know I haven't told you clearly about what your future is going to look like. I really wish I could say to everyone that it's nothing but blue skies and sunshine up ahead. I wish I could guarantee you and your family members are going to be healthy, prosperous, and happy for the rest of their lives. I wish I could tell you that there's going to be peace in all your relationships. I wish I could tell you that you're going to meet the love of your life, have the family of your dreams. But I can't. And as we prayed for today, in fact, chances are that in the future, there's still some tough things coming along. Because the truth is, we're not yet in this new heavens and the new earth. And for the time being, they're going to be failed dreams, untimely death, sickness, fear, conflict, misfortune. But what I do know is this. The God who created his earth, the God we serve, the all-powerful, all-loving God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, who raised him from the dead, has defeated the powers of sin and death and hopelessness. And what I do know is that God has in store for you is far beyond what you can even ask or imagine. What I do know is that our God is in the process of redeeming and, redeem and renewing this world. And one day, this will come into completion. What I do know, he's inviting all of us to join in with him in this process. God is leading you into a new future. Will you see it, church? Will you act upon it? Will you respond in obedience to the renewal God wants to do through you? I'm going to invite you to pray.